Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. There has been a dearth of study in Lucan's scholarship on the Transfiguration account and the enigmatic statement about Jesus' exodus in Jerusalem. Now Gil Shin has provided a model of new exodus based on the Song of the Sea in Exodus 15, illuminating along the way how the motifs of Moses and David are conjoined within a larger drama of the new exodus and the subsequent establishment of Israel's eschatological worship space. Join us as we speak with Gil Shin about his recent book, The Exodus in Jerusalem, Luke 9.31, A Lucan Form of Israel's Restoration Hope. You're listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. W. Gil Shin earned his Ph.D. at Fuller Theological Seminary, where he is affiliate professor of New Testament. His published books and articles include CEB Gospel Parallels in 2012. Gil, welcome to New Books in Biblical Studies. Yeah, thank you. So, Gil, before we turn to look at your recent publication, tell us about yourself. Okay. Um, I came from Korea, uh, South Korea, about 15 years ago, and I, I studied. Uh, my MDiv was in Westminster in Philadelphia, and I moved to California for my PhD with Dr. Joel Green. And that's my uh, why my major is looking at and my wife, Chong uh, Hyun, and my son, Hugh, are living in Pasadena, California. My uh, wife is a math teacher, <laughs> and my son uh, is a, a software engineer. Both uh, people are more toward, like, you know, uh, engineering and math. But me, <laughs> you know, I'm studying uh, New Testament and... I'm teaching at uh, Fuller as affiliate uh, professor, and I am the program manager of Korean Union program. So uh, that's my current title, and yeah, that's uh, pretty much about me. Your book deals especially with the reference in Luke nine thirty one to Jesus' exodus in Jerusalem. Would you give us a glimpse of some of the issues you're addressing here in terms of the history of interpretation? Yeah. Um, the third problem is actually the lack of enough words on on the local version of Transfiguration account. Um, there is one uh, monograph uh, written many many years ago. Um, that book is based on in a typical source critical analysis, and some other uh, books and articles are dealing with uh, Lucan version of Transfiguration account and the phrase. Exodus in Jerusalem, but overall, not much work. So um, I wanted to contribute to uh, to that lack of, I mean, you know, in a better way, and to to have a more detailed understanding of uh, Lucan Transfiguration account. I wanted to contribute to uh, Lucan scholarship. That that was the uh, first issue, and secondly, um, if there are works. Um, you know, that are dealing with uh, Lucan Transfiguration account and the phrase Exodus. Um, there are uh, mostly uh, two major models 
one model is based on Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomic model. And second model is based on Isaiah, Isaiahic model. Um, according to a Deuteronomic model, uh, it sees uh, uh, Jesus' travel narrative, and uh, travel narrative in Luke, like Jesus' movement from Galilee to Jerusalem, as uh, being patterned after Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, movement of Israel, people from Mount Sinai to the promised land. So with them understanding the phrase Exodus uh, uh, in the uh, uh, Transfiguration account, refers to entire journey of Jesus from Galilee to uh, Jerusalem. And, you know, as you may expect, um, with that approach, uh, uh, Moses is really emphasized. So the prophet like Moses as a messianic figure is is very much emphasized to the extent that they uh, minimize the motive of David, the Vedic Messiah. The motive is really minimized. So that's a problem. Um, and another problem is the um, uh, is it is related to geographical issue. Uh, in Luke at um, yes, it is important that we have a journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, but at the same time, it uh, the journey is important because there will be a climactic event in Jerusalem. So, Deuteronomic. Uh, emphasize on the way. So the way is important because in Jerusalem there is climactic event. So um, there's another problem. What is more important on the journey or in Jerusalem? And Deuteronomic approach is emphasizing more on the uh, the path uh, on the journey on on the way to uh, to Jerusalem. Um. The second model, uh, Isaiahic model, is emphasizing uh, Jerusalem because you know I- I- Isaiah has you know strong emphasis on Zion as the center of restoration hope. So uh, Exodus will come back to Zion because God Himself will come back to Zion as the King. So Zion is the center of the restoration drama, and Luke Acts has really strong emphasis on Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where all this climactic restoration drama takes place. So um, in that sense, uh, I'm leaning toward uh, the Isaiahic model. It captures uh, better <laughs> what's happening in Luke Acts. But the thing is, um, it's not either or issue. Um for example, even in uh, the model of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomic uh, model, Jerusalem is still very important. It's the destiny of Jesus' journey and it's the destiny of the movement of people of Israel. So Jerusalem is important not only in um, Isaiahic model, but also in Deuteronomic model as well. So there's some some shared area. And what about the confluence of uh, the motive of uh David and Moses, you know, uh, Deuteronomic model is kind of minimizing it, but uh, um, Isaiahic model is open to uh, both motives, like Davidic Messiah and Mosaic Messiah. But the thing is, how can the Isaiahic model explain the confluence itself? So uh, that's where um, my work, my work comes in. You know, I wanted to explore the uh, more fundamental ground of 
both models? Is there any fundamental ground on which both the model of uh, Deuteronomy, I mean, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy model and Isaiah model uh, are based? So uh, that's the uh, second issue. Third issue is the issue of restoration of Israel. You know, uh, in the history of uh, uh, a scholarship of Luke and Acts, there was a important turning point uh, represented by uh, the work of uh, Jacob Gerbil. Uh, you know, uh, traditional understanding of Acts is more based on um, supersessionism because uh, Jewish people rejected the gospel, God rejected Jewish people, and gospel will go to uh, Gentiles and something like that. But you know, uh, from that turning point, that framework has been changed a lot. So even going to the Gentiles is part of the drama of Israel's restoration. So when I was exploring the connection between the motif of Exodus and the motif of, of Jerusalem, I found Exodus 15 as a basic uh, pattern. And then can I make a connection between this pattern of Exodus 15 and the recent emphasis on the issue of restoration of Israel as a tool to understanding uh, um, of Luke and Act? So uh, that's the third issue. And finally, fourth issue is, uh, is related to methodology. You know, because I'm dealing with a transfiguration account, it has a lot of motives. It has a lot of images. Uh, so how can I uh, explore uh, allusions? You know, in the history of interpretation, allusion used to be understood as, as a vague reference. So uh, within that understanding, once you figure out what the reference is, that's it. <laughs> so uh, that's old understanding. But in the newer understanding, it's more like mutual uh, activation of significations. Both the alluding text and the alluded to text are mutually activated in terms of significations. So uh, that's important for, for me because what I'm looking at is not just specific reference, but I'm looking at how the transfiguration story alludes to a basic story form. So I'm what I'm looking for is allusion to a story form. So uh, the new understanding of illusion gives me more of freedom to uh, to look for uh, how uh, a story is alluded to. So uh, I call it internetivity. There's a part of uh, a kind of intertextuality, but more geared toward the uh, listening to uh, how a story form is is alluded to. So uh, basically, four uh, issues are there. You argue that Luke's gospel has its own distinct form of Israel's restoration hope based on the Song of the Sea in Exodus 15. Would you explain Luke's particular restoration hope for Israel and how it relates to the rest of Luke's writing, uh, including the book of Acts? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I point to Exodus 15 pattern as a basis of uh, Luke's a form of restoration hope. I wanted to I want to talk more about uh, Exodus 15 pattern first because that's the basis. Exodus 15 pattern, you know, uh, Exodus 15 is, you know, it's about the song of Moses, the song of uh, song of the sea, you know, which takes place after the people of Israel cross the Red Sea, and this song has interesting 
uh, story form, you know, basic story form. In this story form, God, uh, the power of God saves uh, the people and he is leading them into a sanctuary-like uh, dwelling place. The very short, very uh, simple story form, but very effective form so that, you know, in the later scripture traditions, particularly the uh, letter part, um, the sanctuary-like dwelling place is strongly associated with Zion, uh, like Psalm 78, so uh, and, and, and Isaiah as well. You know, in the hope of New Exodus in Isaiah, the power of God saved people exiles and leading them through the wilderness back to Zion, but then Zion is a renewed, restored uh, uh, sanctuary like a place, uh, you know, sanctuary like a dwelling place of the people. So uh, the uh, this form of uh, Exodus 15 pattern is there, right? So um, if there's that is the pattern, uh, how do I make a connection between the uh, pattern and Luke's understanding of restoration of Israel? I see uh, uh, that Luke assumes this pattern as a basis of his understanding of the history of Israel as a whole. Uh, for example, when you see Acts 7, uh, there Stephen is retelling the story of Israel, the history of Israel, but the, the pattern of that retold history is interesting because it is focusing on a worship space or the land, land, and the temple and the uh, uh, skinny, the uh, tent or something like that. So Abraham's story is actually related to the land, going to the land. The land is the destination of the Exodus story. So Abraham's story, Joseph's story is also related to the land. And Abraham's story is related to the Exodus uh, and Moses. And that story is directly dealing with the space of worship. So uh, uh, people of Israel uh, made a false uh, worship space in contrast to the tabernacle. And right after that, we see the building of uh, uh, the Jerusalem temple uh, by David. So um, there is underlying structure of this retelling of Israel's history. Uh, and the underlying uh, structure, I, I'm pointing to uh, Exodus 15 as underlying uh, a structure of this retelling of Israel history. So I see that Luke is assuming this pattern as, as a framework uh, within which he can understand the history of Israel. And then uh, Luke's understanding of uh, a, a restoration drama has uh, emphasis on the uh, worship-related reality. Uh, for example, you know, how is this uh, rela uh, reality related to uh, the Exodus 15 pattern? Uh, in Exodus 15 pattern, the uh, the end result, which is the sanctuary-like dwelling place, has a strong apophatic nature. Uh, it's, it's beyond human hands. It, the power of God saves people, and the uh, uh, sanctuary-like uh, dwelling place is... Is something that God's own hands uh, make. So there's a strong apathetic uh, emphasis in describing the nature of this end result. And Luke is 
you know, repeating this idea over and over. For example, in Transfiguration story, you know, compared to the synoptic, uh, other synoptic uh, accounts, Luke has interesting relation between Peter. Uh, he suggests a building three tents and there is cloud coming. And there's interesting relation between them compared to a, a synoptic, uh, other synoptic accounts as if the cloud is an answer to Peter's suggestion, which means that Peter wants to build something like tent. Tent meaning the uh, uh, indwelling uh, with God and the people. So Peter wants to uh, build it, but he cannot. Cloud came. So a glory and cloud, the presence of God is coming to him as an answer to him that that sort of reality, worship reality could not be made by human hands. So that's the first uh, example. And in Acts 7, uh, when uh, Stephen is critiquing uh, his opponent, um, his major point was the uh, was that they are losing the balance between apophatic nature and cataphatic nature of Jerusalem temple. So to the extent that, you know, uh, uh, what is made of human hands is emphasized. So um, that's a major critique of Stephen. And then, you know, similarly, what Jesus' uh, second exodus accomplished has this worship-related reality that is captured really well in Acts 15 uh, by the word uh, restored tent of David. And what's the nature of this tent? Um, within this tent, uh, Jews and Gentiles uh, worship the same God of Israel. But how can Gentiles uh, join this word Israel's worship space? By being cleansed by the Holy Spirit. So beyond human hands. So it's a repetition of this apathetic nature uh, that describes the nature of the uh, uh, sanctuary like indwelling place as a result of the Exodus. So um, I see uh, uh, the Exodus 15 pattern is the basis of uh, of uh, Luke's understanding of restoration. Oh, and why is it important to uh, to act? Um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, traditional understanding is based on supersessionism. But think about that uh, tent of David. You know, in that tent, it's not just going to uh, the Gentiles. Gentiles are joining the worship of Israel's God. Gentiles are joining the um, uh, worship of worship space of Israel, so to speak. And then to the end of the story of Acts, you know, Paul in Rome, what he mentioned as as a capturing of his ministry is about the hope of Israel. So um, entire act, you know, we have different picture of entire acts. It's not just going to the Gentiles, but it's about the expansion of the hope of Israel, even to the Gentiles. And they are joining uh, the service of uh, Israel's God through the uh, restored uh, Davidic tent. So this is a total different picture of about Acts. So how is the Exodus accomplished by Jesus linked in Luke and Acts to hopes for a Davidic Messiah? Yeah, Davidic Messiah. Um, you know, uh, uh, there's there's really interesting uh, relationship between the Exodus and um, uh, the temple, Jerusalem temple, an eschatological temple in one of the uh, Qumran documents. 
what a 4Q174, a Florida legal, you know, in that a document, it has Exodus 15 and a second Samuel 7 and Amos 9 all together in a stream. And how is it important uh, um, to our understanding of uh, Luke Act and the Living Messiah? Um, as I mentioned to you uh, in Act 7, when Stephen has a, a, a retelling of his sort of history, Exodus leads to uh, a Davidic uh, a temple, meaning the uh, Jerusalem temple. Why is it important? Because David is the one who completes the entire saga of Exodus. So when David builds this temple, the entire story of Exodus is now finalized. So uh, that structure is revealed actually in 42174. So there's a connection of Exodus 15 and the uh, Second Samuel 7 as David being the one who completes the entire story. And then we have Amos 9. Amos 9 is, uh, you know, uh, as we can see in Acts 17, the restored temple, the restored tent of David is mentioned. And the same phrase is mentioned in uh, 42174. So there is where uh, the living Messiah comes in on the basis of the connection of the Exodus and Jerusalem temple. This Amos 9 passage shows the Davidic Messiah in the eschatological time will be will be building a new temple based on this relation of Exodus 15 connected to uh, uh, 2 Samuel 7. So, do I think that Luke is following this idea? I think so. <laughs> so, um, you know, as I mentioned, Acts 7 is making a connection between the Exodus drama and the building of Jerusalem by David. And in Acts 15, when there is a mention of Amos 9, Luke is doing very interesting thing. He is changing verbs uh, to, to reflect uh, 2 Samuel 7. So this is intentional connection to uh, 2 Samuel 7, where we see David uh is intending to build uh, the Jerusalem temple. So Messiah for him is the idea of Messiah, Davidic Messiah, is really strongly based on this connection of uh, Exodus 15 pattern, the uh, sanctuary-like uh, uh, indwelling place because of God's salvation, which is completed by Jerusalem temple. So Davidic Messiah is the one who accomplishes Exodus, New Exodus, and as a result of it, we will see a uh, sanctuary-like indwelling place. So, and that is captured by the phrase "restored Davidic tent." And what are the elements of this uh, Davidic tent that is restored? I see uh, three things, and all those three things are based on the connection of Exodus story and Second uh, Samuel seven. First element is a sacred worship aspect, uh, a sacred worship of Israel God. You know, that's what the sanctuary like in dwelling place refers to. And there is the uh, people in dwelling in that area because God is leading the saved people into the holy mountain, into the sanctuary. So the indwelling of the people there is another element. So there's a second element 
And the third element is the reign of David, Davidic Messiah, because it is the uh, Exodus story is completed by David, and that will be eschatologically fulfilled by Davidic Messiah. So we will have three elements: the uh, sacred worship of Israel's God, and uh, the reign of the Davidic King, and indwelling of the people. And then we see that those three elements are related to the church. So the uh, the symbolism of the restored Davidic tent has a strong overlapping with the church. And particularly in this church, we have Jewish and Gentile people together because of the apathetic nature, because of God's own power, and cleansing them into this worship space. So it's not equivalent, but there's a strong uh, overlapping between this symbolism of Davidic tent and the church. And then there's another uh, overlapping. You know, it's overlapping with the kingdom of God. Um, kingdom of God is a Jewish notion. And because you know, God will be king through the king Messiah. So there's a, a, a kingdom of God as a Jewish notion. And the restored Davidic tent is uh, the in which we have both Jewish people and Gentile people uh, joining uh, this worship space. Because of that, um, Davidic tent, restored Davidic tent is the way how the Jewish notion of kingdom of God is interacting with the larger Greco-Roman world. So there's a strong uh, overlapping with the kingdom of God, but in a way uh, that interacts with the Greco-Roman world. So um, that's how the uh, Davidic Messiah is interacting with the Greco-Roman world. It, it, he is a Jewish Messiah, but he's interacting with the larger Greco-Roman world through the notion of this restored Davidic in which both Jews and Gentiles join. Gil, what would you say is Luke's main message in his gospel? You, you know, based on what I just said, you know, and then I, I, I actually agree with uh, Sterling. Um, I see both Luke and Acts together as a historiography. So what Luke does there is a he, he wants to show the origin of the way movement as the true heir of Israel's faith and its implications to the larger Greco-Roman world as a way of salvation in the midst of the expectation that the God of Israel will visit the entire world through Messiah, through Israel's Messiah. So that's what he wants to do. So it's a historiography, but he has based on this Jewish understanding, but he's interacting with the larger Greco-Roman world. So uh, basically, I think the historiographical approach is the best way to to capture the entire message of Luke and that. Before we let you go, would you tell us what else you're working on these days? Any further publications? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on, you know what, because I, I found this notion of... Um, uh, WD Tent and Restore WD Tent is so fascinating. And I'm working more on that. I already uh, published uh, two articles about it. Uh, and what is the implication? What's the implication of this WD Tent? And first one, uh, which was published in uh, 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 Little Testamentum, it's about you know uh, connect, making a connection between uh, Restore WD Tent and Paul as a tent maker. You know, uh, because, you know, a lexical study shows that, you know, it's really hard to pinpoint what 
exact uh, job is. You know, what, what does it mean by tent making? So uh, why, why is it so ambiguous? Although we just think that it's a tent maker, but you know, when we do a lexical study, uh, it's kind of ambiguous. So I see there is some sort of uh, double encounter. You know, um, Paul, as a, as a worker of tent making, in connection with the uh, uh, restored Dominic uh, tent to the larger Greco-Roman world. And then that, that is the first example. And second one is um, uh, uh, it, it's published in JBL. It's about the uh, uh, epistolic decree, uh, you know, uh, in the, uh, prohibiting uh, Gentile converts uh, from eating blood and you know um strangled things or something like that you know uh i see um that apostolic decree is a reflection of the holy land uh sanctity and why because you know uh, as far as gentiles could be in the restored davidic tent they can join the holy land sanctity that was before it was impossible but as far as they are in the restored Davidic tent, they could join. Uh, they could join the monotheistic confession of Israel God, which requires sanctity, which is reflected in Leviticus seventeen and eighteen in the holiness of the land. So I see uh, from the apostolic uh, decree that connection. You know, as far as Gentiles are in uh, the restored divinity tent, they can join the monotheistic holiness and sanctity. And so, and I'm work, currently working on a temple, uh, a Jerusalem temple, in a comparison with Second Maccabees and uh, Josephus, and uh, as well. And you know, all of these things together, I'm you know, uh, I'm aiming at. Um, writing another monograph about how Luke is transforming Jewish uh, Jewish spaces, like Jewish spaces of temple, Jewish spaces of the land, Jewish spaces of uh, the Gentile land and the sea, you know, those kind of things. So that's what I'm currently working on. And and it's a related but separate work. I, is, I want to suggest a notion of cosmological impurity. You know, we have met different forms of impurities, like, you know, moral impurity and ritual impurity. And but what about the uh, impurity that is related to demons? You know, uh, in the gospel stories, they are just mentioned as unclean spirit. But what kind of impurity is it? So uh, I I just want to work on this uh, new concept. I just wanted to suggest that. And then I want to make a connection between that new suggestion to the uh, Jewish spaces as well later in the future. So uh, those are the things that I'm currently currently working on. Yo, it's been a delight speaking with you about your work. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you, Michael, for having me. Friends, you've been listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.